So as a practicing appraiser, your minimum requirement is of course USPAM. So I have a few questions for you. You're an appraiser, you're adhering to your minimum standards. Let's say you're in the hot seat and you're asked, did you develop your appraisal and write your appraisal report in accordance to USPAP? What are you gonna have to say? I think you're gonna have to say yes. I mean, if you say no, you're done. If you say, I tried to, you're probably done. So that's a lead question that the person knows you're gonna answer yes. That's easy enough. But then what if, what if you're asked, great, how many standards are there? How many statements are there? How many advisory opinions are there? What's the purpose of USPAP. This is Brian Reynolds with the appraisal update brought to you by Appraiser eLearning. I'm speaking with John Brennan today, the Vice President of Appraisal Issues with the Appraisal Foundation. I'm so excited and happy that he's willing to chat with us. John, welcome. Thank you, Brian. Pleasure to be here. You know, we as appraisers, um, we say that we adhere to USPAP, but very often the questions I ask my students, they can't answer them. And boy, could that be a little embarrassing because the final question is going to be, you know, if you developed your appraisal and wrote your report in accordance to this, you can't seem to tell me anything in this document. Uh, what has been your experience with the typical appraiser's knowledge of this document that they swear they adhere to? That's an interesting question, and uh, the, the short answer is it varies greatly. There are certainly... Um, practicing appraisers out there that know USPAP backwards and forwards. Uh, there are, on the other spectrum, we have appraisers out there that don't know the difference between Fannie Mae guidelines, USPAP, and state law. So it does cover the waterfront in terms of what uh, the knowledge level out there. And we do uh, require a couple of things. You know, the Appraiser Qualifications Board establishes the standards uh, excuse me, the qualifications that include com successfully completing a 15-hour USPAP before, course, before getting a credential. And then once you do have a credential, you have to take the seven-hour USPAP update course once every two years. So we believe that there is more than ample opportunity for appraisers to understand what their obligations are under USPAP. Great. And, and I would suggest that the appraisers out there that, you know, groan and moan and they're frustrated, I've got to take this dang seven-hour update class again, uh, that maybe they see that as a learning opportunity. You guys put away your cell phones, quit working on reports, and maybe pay attention during that class. Ask some of these hard questions. And, and I, I tell folks, you know, it's not possible to, to probably memorize that thing cover to cover, uh, but, you know, you ought to at least know the first sentence of the preamble. <laughs> and so 
Uh, if we have a, let's break that down a little bit because we've got USPAP and we've got frequently asked questions. We've got advisory opinions. We've got a lot thrown at us. Um, if there is a real property appraiser out there listening right now, and don't, don't say the whole book, John, please, what, what would be your recommendation that they go home tonight and say, you know, I'm going to refresh after this podcast. I'm going to refresh my memory. What sections of that would you recommend they really look over and examine and, and have a little bit better understanding? What parts? Well, I think if it's a matter of, of uh, trying to get greater understanding about what's required in the standards, um, my suggestion would be particularly someone in the example you gave to reflect on an, a, a recent assignment that they had that maybe they weren't quite so sure about. Look then into the guidance that the Standards Board has issued. You referred to it. We have the advisory opinions. They are titled, and they talk about the subject that it applies to. And then we have a few hundred frequently asked questions. And the frequently asked questions are about different parts of USPAP, but they are specific illustrations, examples of what the standards mean. So if somebody, for example, says, uh, you know, I had this issue with trying to properly analyze the sales history of the subject property, and I wasn't quite sure how to go about that. Well, in that case, there happens to be an AO on that very topic, and there are several FAQs on that. So, you know, I, I think it would be disingenuous to say go back and read the entire USPAP standards, just like you said, but you can focus areas that you may feel uh, a little weak on or a little maybe behind the times on by looking at a specific advisory opinion and or frequently asked questions. Great, great. And I want to remind our listeners, you know, you mentioned Fannie Mae versus USPAP, and, and it, gosh, we have a lot to try to sort out and remember, you know, to defend appraisers out there. You've got, you know, you've got USPAP, you have to deal with that, your minimum standard, right? You've got Fannie Mae guidelines. If you're doing FHA, you've got some FHA protocol. You have state laws, and gosh, we've got federal laws. We've got a lot, I'm about to pull my hair out. We've got a lot going on here. So it does get confusing. You know, you mentioned analyzing prior sales, a lot of appraisers might not be aware that USPAP doesn't require you to analyze prior sales of the comps at all. Now, that's a Fannie Mae issue. So since I picked that one out, Sandra 1-5, right, talk about that a minute because that's a common problem area, I believe, that they're making a statement, the subject property sold two years ago for $150,000. If that statement's contained in their appraisal report, is that good enough? Well, that's a, that's a great question, and that is one that the Standards Board has been trying to focus on uh, providing additional guidance. And in the, in the changes that were just adopted for the 2020 edition of USPAP, there is additional guidance in that very advisory opinion that we're talking about of the subject property sales history, another illustration to help uh, better understand. And so the answer to your question is, no, a simple statement that a property sold for X amount on a certain date, that does not satisfy the obligation to analyze. You know, what the, put yourself in the, in the shoes of the intended user. You know, just getting the information that there was a sale on a date doesn't mean anything. What, what I want to know if I'm that person is why did it sell for less, more, than you're appraising it for now, 
possibly could have been just a few months ago. Why would there be a significant difference? So again, the appraiser's job is to analyze why that difference exists to the best of their ability. At the end of the day, the appraiser may not be able to explain why it sold for X and I'm appraising it for Y now. But you do have to perform that, that analysis and you have to provide a summary of what that analysis was. Great, great. And I'm glad you said that because many times we don't know. We can't find the answer. You know, UAD protocol kind of resolved that with the analysis of the sales agreement because it's loaded in there. But this is a common problem. That's why I, I wanted your take on that. If, if an appraiser just makes a statement of fact, I mean, that's just a factual statement. It doesn't, doesn't answer the question, what's the result of the analysis? So a lot of times in my reports, I simply say an analysis of the prior sale revealed and fill in the blank. You know, what, it, what did it reveal? It was arm's length. It was a non, you know, it was a divorce or it was a, a master commissioner sale or whatever the, the circumstances was. Uh, analyze that and, and communicate that to your client. So you mentioned changes, John, and I'd love to hold you hostage here all day long and talk about USPAP, but I know I don't have that opportunity. Uh, what's, what's around the corner? I know uh, an announcement just came out that the changes uh, were uh, voted unanimously. Uh, what are the most earth-shattering changes out there that appraisers need to be aware of? Well, I think uh, whether they're earth-shattering or not is, is, uh, is in the eye of the beholder, I guess. <laughs> but I would say that uh, probably the most significant change that uh, was adopted, and they become effective January 1st of 2020, um, today re um, revolves around the issue of the applicability for restricted appraisal reports. Today in USPAP, uh, an appraiser cannot issue a restricted appraisal report when there are any intended users other than the client or clients. There can be co-clients, so you may have two or three people, two or three parties as a client, and that's fine. Today you can do that, and you can still provide a restricted appraisal report. But if there are additional intended users that are not clients, today you can't provide a restricted appraisal report. Come January 1st, you will be allowed to. And you will have to identify those intended users by name because the requirement, the reason is, this restricted appraisal report is essentially a results-only uh -huh. type report, very minimal level of detail in the report. So the reason for naming the intended users is so that the appraiser can reasonably assure that they have the same level of understanding that the client does because it wouldn't be fair to say that the client knows about the property, knows about the market, I can do a restricted appraisal report, but you have an intended user that doesn't have that knowledge and is looking at the report and has a lot of questions because they don't have that level of understanding. Yeah, I'm glad you bring that up. You know, as a practicing appraiser, and, and, and that's I really don't do a whole lot these days. I, I do a variety of things, but I still occasionally appraise houses, right? And um, I, I use the restricted appraisal report a lot. Uh, actually, it's probably my favorite. Uh, it's, it's less time-consuming. And our listeners need to understand your development is different than your report. Um, the report is the method that you communicate the results of the appraisal or development to your client, right? So you still got to do all that development stuff, right, before you can communicate the results to the client. I want to I expand on this just a little bit. 
because this went through a few exposure drafts. I believe there were a total of four. And at the third exposure draft, which was you guys were thinking or the board was thinking about voting on that, if, if I understand that correctly, and something happened. Uh, what happened to table that and revisit that issue? Because I believe you were actually going to get rid of the report labels. Yeah, that's exactly right, Brian. And, and what, I, what I'll say, what happened, I'll give you the answer first, and that is absolute hard evidence that this process works. And the process I'm talking about is all changes to your standards, just like the AQB does with qualifications, are done in a completely transparent way where they are published and where the boards seek those, that type of feedback. And I'll talk more in a second about the level of feedback, but the way that this occurred is in the third exposure draft and the prior drafts, there was the concept of eliminating the two different report options, the appraisal report and the restricted appraisal report, and instead establish one minimum set of reporting requirements. That simple. You could then call your reports whatever you wanted. You can call it an appraisal. You can call it whatever. You can call it an evaluation. Brian's report. Brian's <laughs> report. That's right. And, um, and so that was a concept that the board got a lot of positive feedback on. A lot of people said, yes, we don't need these labels. Yes, we can do the level of, of, of work and reporting required, for example, for an evaluation mm -hmm. under the federal financial regulatory agencies, but we don't have to call it an appraisal. That's a game changer for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. What happened is, when I say proof that the process worked, was we received feedback from some appraisers saying, you know, the way that this is written right now You've got an unintended consequence here, and that is that the minimum requirements for a restricted appraisal report today are less than what you're talking about proposing them to be January 1st, 2020, because it's one single minimum set. Well, the Standards Board is not trying to make things more difficult for appraisers. They are trying to give appraisers the flexibility that's required in the marketplace. So when the Standards Board recognized that that this unintended consequence would defeat exactly what their objectives are, they said instead, let's put this aside. Let's revisit it. It will be examined. It even says in the fourth exposure draft, the standard board plans to re-examine this topic. Uh, where it will go, I don't know. That'll, that'll depend. But that's the importance of the feedback from these exposure documents that we need. And I've said this many times, <clears throat> There are approximately uh, 70 to 75,000 individuals that are licensed, state licensed or certified appraisers, real property appraisers, in the United States. If you look at that number and you try to uh, somehow drill down to how many people are really shaping what these standards and qualifications would be, it's disappointing, to be honest. It's got to be 10%. I mean, tell me it's 10%. 10% would equate to 7,500 right. comment letters. Right. That's in, a good number. In 15 years, we haven't had a total of 7,500 <laughs> comment letters. Uh, sadly, it's, it, we usually average, per exposure draft document, somewhere between 25 and 75 comment letters. So it is a, a, a microscopic percentage of the appraisers out there 
that are commenting on the standards that affect all of us as appraisers. We, we like to see comments. We would like more of them. The, it doesn't matter who you are, what, exor- what organization you belong to or don't belong to. The, the entire essence of a comment is why you think this is a good idea, a bad I- idea. Explain that to the best of your ability, and that's what will carry the day with the standards board, just like it did with these reporting changes. So what I'm hearing is a handful of appraisers came up to the table and said, no, don't make that change. And you, and you guys actually listened and didn't make the change. Yeah, absolutely. This, this, is, this is hats off to the appraisal standards board. Um, this is proof positive. They, they seek the comments. They review the comments. They deliberate over the comments. And they act on the comments. And thank you to whoever those appraisers were, because you would have made my life a little tougher. I, I, would have, I would have not been able to do the restricted appraisal reports like I do now, effective January 1. So thank you to whoever you are out there. And to all the listeners out there, get involved. For crying out loud, Mr. John Brennan is saying that they want your comments. They want your feedback. And this is proof that just a handful of appraisers can make a huge difference. In fact, the 75,000 appraisers out there ought to be thanking these handful of appraisers for keeping a more stringent requirement from occurring January 1. Hey, John, I know you're a really busy guy. Thank you for being here today. If somebody wants to reach out to you and communicate with you directly, how do they go about doing that? Well, the, uh, the best way, because I do travel quite a bit and speak at conferences like we're doing here, uh, the best way is by email, and it's real simple. It's john, J-O-H-N, at appraisalfoundation.org. And uh, I will promptly respond to your emails just as soon as I have, uh, have the opportunity. But please, anybody with any questions about USPAP or qualifications, I'd be more than happy to address them. Mr. John Brennan, Vice President of Appraisal Issues with the Appraisal Foundation, thank you so much for being here today. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm Brian Reynolds. You've been listening to the Appraisal Update.